0: We are continuing our sermon series uh, in Ancient past, looking at the spiritual discipline of Sabbath today. And so uh, if you need a Bible, go ahead and raise your hands. One of us will bring you one. If you don't own one, it's our gift to you. But I want to say this. We're going to break Sabbath into, uh, I've got so much rest, it's going to be two sermons. Like that's what it's going to be. It's going to be one, but we, got, we are going to do two sermons. Not today, but one today, one next week on the subject of Sabbath. Um, and, and what we're going to do today is look at the Sabbath day or corporate worship. Next week we will look at the Sabbath principle, rest. So the word Sabbath or Shabbat means in Hebrew rest or to cease. And so we see that it it, in the scriptures that it's a day set apart for rest and worship. And so uh, I want to talk about how... The, the big idea today in corporate worship is about worshiping Jesus. We've gathered to worship Jesus. If you want rest in any way for your soul, you must worship Jesus. And then we're going to talk about how what rest can look like uh, more specifically uh, in the sermon next week. And so let's look at uh, the big idea that God made the Sabbath. The Sabbath wasn't your invention. You're like, I need a rest day. No, God made it. He's the. His, you do, but... But God made it. And he begins with himself in Genesis chapter 2, verse 3. So God blessed the seventh day and made it holy because on it God rested from all his work he had, he had done in creation. So we see at the very beginning, in the, in, the, in, in the first seven days of creation on the seventh day, God himself rest. Was he tired? No. Was he exhausted? No. Had he expended so much energy that he needed rest? No. But he did that as a a precedent for us. His creation who would need rest. So fast forward to the next book of the Bible after Genesis, Exodus, chapter 20. And one of the ten, the fourth command of the Ten Commandments. God gives his people who need rest, he says this, remember the Sabbath day and keep it holy. And what is, look what he does in verse nine. He refers back to what we just read in Genesis chapter two, th- verse three. Six days you shall labor and do all the work, but on the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. And on it you shall not do any work. You or your son or your daughter or your male servant or your female servant or your livestock or the sojourner, uh, so p- folks who are living with you within your gates, for in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth and the sea, and, and, all, and all that is in them, and, on the, and he rested on the seventh day. And therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. God made this on purpose. And so God has made Sabbath on purpose. It was his idea. God has, has stopped work himself on the seventh day so that he could rest and enjoy His creation with his creation, and therefore God commands us to imitate him in doing the same. And so we have this the principle of the Sabbath, this universal truth, this reality that that all humans, mankind, need rest. We need to cultivate rhythms of rest. That's next week's sermon. (laughs) That's where we're going next week. Some of you are like, I'm exhausted. Yeah, next week, come here about the Sabbath. But also, we're going to find rest today even in, in talking today about the Sabbath day. The day in which God's people corporately gather to worship. See, the, the Hebrews would gather for corporate worship, Scripture reading, prayer, kind of like what we're doing now. It looked look a little different, but their day of worship was Saturday, the seventh day, the day that God rested. And so... We gather on Sunday, which we'll talk about in a minute why, but we gather on Sunday corporately together to worship on Sunday. That's what we're doing right now, and that's what we'll continue to do throughout our time today. And so either, the, either of these sermons, whether it's today or, or, or next week's sermon on the Sabbath principle, only will make sense if you realize this. This is important to note that Sabbath wasn't merely made for a day. Uh, just simply a day of rest. But the Sabbath is a person. His name is Jesus. As we began the sermon series, we saw this. And, and the idea of the ancient path, that we were to come on the path that Jesus has called us to. And we saw in Jeremiah that, that we'd find what? Rests for our souls. We need rest beyond hours of sleep. You need rest beyond a, a, a good, healthy diet, exercise, and sleep. You need a deeper abiding rest, a rest that comes from the, that that is in the deep heart of your soul that can only be found in Jesus. And so both the Sabbath day is about Jesus, uh, the, the corporate worship about Jesus, and so is finding any sort of rest in this life that which we live is about Jesus. The only place where true rest is found is with Jesus. And so I just came back from vacation you know why I got rest? Because it wasn't about the vacation. It wasn't about all the things we did or didn't do, the sights we got to see, the sleep we got to have. Actually, I woke up earlier while I was there. We're in Colorado. The sun rises at 5:30 a.m. We're wide awake at 5:30. What's going on here? I'm awake. It's earlier. Rest is not found, I need us to see, and not in vacations and time off, days off, good night's sleep, though those are helpful and the Holy Spirit uses them. Rest is found in a person, Jesus. And so we set off on our our time of vacation to not just find rest in doing things and and getting away from work, but to seek to cultivate an abiding rest in Jesus as we were doing so. And I tell you what, coming back, more rested than ever. And praise be to God for that. And so what I want us to see here in this that that Jesus is the one who gives us rest and he wants to give you rest as you worship him today, where you're at today. Even if you didn't get a good night's sleep today, even if you are worn out and burdened from your week, he wants to give you rest for your soul today. But it comes from worshiping him. That's where the rest is found. And so worship takes work. It took work for some of you to get here today. It's going to take some of you work to stay awake today. It's going to take work, but I tell you it's worth it unto the worship of Jesus and the glory to His name because He is worthy. And it's through that that you'll actually find what your heart and soul need and are looking for. And so we gather on Sunday to worship Jesus together as a family. That's what the word corporate means, together together. In the New Testament, it's clear that God's people are to regularly gather for corporate worship. This is what the word ecclesia means. It means the gathered assembly of God's people. So people like, the ecclesia means the church. Well, it's not it, it, theoretical. It's the gathering the, of God's people gathered. We gather for corporate worship, and we scatter for worship as well. And so let's look at Hebrews 13, verse 15 through 16 big idea, corporate worship here. What is it? What are we doing as we gather right now here for worship? This is what we do. Verse 15, through him, that is Jesus, through Jesus, then let us continually offer up a sacrifice of praise to God. That is the fruit of lips. So from our mouth, singing songs, praise, conversations, fruit that overflows from our lips, that acknowledges his name, And do not neglect to do good and to share what you have, for such sacrifices are pleasing to God. See, the context here in Hebrews 13 is corporate worship, the gathered body coming together as a church to worship. And how do we worship? We must, all worship comes, what does the verse 15 say? Through him, through Jesus. All worship of God must come through Jesus. I know for some of you, like, that sounds very elementary. I, we, I want to say it again. It is, but it is the most foundational point we must see about worship, that we cannot worship God without worship going through the person and work of Jesus. This means this, that anyone on earth who claims to worship God, if they do not worship Jesus, they are liars and are wrong. That means every religion on the face of planet earth is, in fact, wrong. You're like, man, that sounds very narrow-minded and bigoted. I know, Jesus is the one who said it first. He says, no one comes through who? To the Father, but by me. This is so important. So many people say, well, I'm godly, I worship God, and you know, but the whole Jesus thing, the whole Christianity, it's very narrow. It is very narrow, but anyone can come. Anyone can come. That means if you don't know, love, and trust Jesus and you've run and you're rebelling from him, he is inviting you into his family today to forgive you of your sins, to give you a new life, to adopt you, to give you the hope and salvation that only can be found in him. He offers that to even his enemies. And so what we worship comes through Jesus. True worship of God comes through Jesus. That's what he says. He says, We can only rightly worship God through Jesus. And next, it says that it's continually. So he says, let us come through him. Let us continually offer up sacrifice of praise to God. Our worship is continual. I need you to see this. You don't just worship on Sunday and then go spend the rest of your week doing whatever you want to do. You're worshiping also throughout the week. The question is not, are you worshiping? The question is always, who or what are you worshiping? And so our worship is to be continual, and so Jesus, Jesus is worthy of our continual, ongoing worship and praise. So, so for some of you, you're like, "What is worship?" It, I, you only see worship as singing, and you just to see something different. Worship is not just simply singing, though we worship through singing, we do. But worship in the in the in the scriptures, both the Hebrew and the Greek terms, there's two groupings of terms when, that you look at throughout the scriptures that uh, translate to worship. The first term is that of uh, labor or service. So, so, so action. And two, the, the second term literally means bowing or paying homage or, 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 or you know, what you typically see as what you probably think of as worship. So we have the first set of terms is active. What we do That's worship. What you do is worship. But also, uh, the the second set of terms is honoring someone superior to ourselves, adoration. So worship is both adoration and action. They're both. Some of us are really, really, really good at, at adoration. Some of us are really, really good at action. God has called his people to do both. Adore him with our lips, our heart, mind, and and then our strength. Action. Loving him by obeying his commands and law. That's what we taught in the kids last week. I got the privilege to to teach uh, in in our kids' ministry. And the the big idea was how do you glorify God? You you glorify him by loving him, adoring him, and by obeying his commands and law. It's action. Adoration and action. So if you're ever wondering, what do we teach in the kids' class? It's the same stuff we teach here. It's the same. And so our worship includes what we do when we, we gather as a, as a corporate body for adoration, but also includes what we do when we scatter for action. That's worship. All of life is worship. And so if our aim as a church is to worship Jesus and everything we say and everything we do, then the corporate gathering ought to form not just the worship we, we experience here, but the worship that we are called to out there. So what we're doing here is supposed to form our worship, not just here, but as we scatter for worship. And so I'll say it this way, that corporate worship, uh, it, it either does one of two things. It either exemplifies your worship or it exposes your worship. What I mean by this is, the New Testament scholar D. A. Carson says says this. He says we cannot imagine that the church that gathers for worship on Sunday morning, if or we can't imagine, sorry, we cannot imagine that the, that the church that gathers for, for worship on Sunday morning, if by what we mean is that they engage in something that they have not been engaging in the rest of the week new test new covenant worship terminology prescribes constant worship. What he's saying is this, you can't say you're coming to church to worship Jesus if you're not worshiping him throughout the rest of your week. It doesn't make sense. And so what that's what I mean by it either exemplifies your worship. It's like an exclamation mark on the end of your week or the beginning of your week that you've been worshiping Jesus all week. Now you're excited you're coming together with God's people and it's like a, a, a an exclamation mark. We we're getting to worship Jesus together, and it's awesome. Some of you, that's how you feel about come, uh, showing up every Sunday. You're like, this is coming together as God's people, God's family, worshiping together. Others, it just exposes your worship. It exposes that this is the only day you worship. It's the only day you really pray. It's the only day you really hear the Bible. It's the only re- day you really, you know, you think about the forgiveness of your sins. It's the only day, because we're taking communion and that we're forcing you to, and you're like, man, I gotta deal with this. And so the idea is that we gather, when we gather, our worship is exposed even through, not just maybe we're, we're going, okay, this is the only day that I, I, I worship, but it's also exposed in that we realize that throughout the week that we fall short. Are we honest? We fall short all week long. We fall short. We worship other things. We worship at other altars. We, we, we put other things before God. We, we, we find ourselves in, in sin, habitual sin or, or, or flagrant sin or find ourselves in positions that we wish we were not in or, or we, 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 we cease to, to make much of Jesus with our life and we become aware of it through the preaching of God's word, through the songs we're singing. The Holy Spirit convicts our heart and exposes us. It exposes us. And so what, what we then do, we have the opportunity now, the Holy Spirit exposes us as we gather corporately through the preaching, through the hearing of God's word, and then we have an opportunity to do one of two things. We get to then push the Holy Spirit aside, shut our ears, and stay in the position we're in, or we have the opportunity to repent. And receive the forgiveness that Jesus has for us. And glory in the, in the righteousness that he has applied to our account. And then, and then enjoy the reconciliation we have with God our Father. And rejoice again and again and again that there's more mercy and grace in Jesus than there is sin in you. When we gather, we have that opportunity to be exposed for the glory of God. So that we can repent for the glory of God. And then enjoy the blessing of of our glorious God through the redemption of, of, of Jesus for the salvation or for the, the, the crucifixion of Jesus and the redemption of our souls. We get to rejoice again and again. We need to find rest, forgiveness, transformation. That is the opportunity that is given to the people of God every time they've gathered. That the, that the prophetic preaching goes out that pierces the heart and then you have the opportunity for transformation for greater worship, to come back to Jesus for worship. Worshiping Him more fully and more rightly. And so, that's what, we, that's, that's what we get to do and that's what corporate worship, uh, that's the big view of it. Now we're going we're gonna to narrow it down and, and talk about some details about why we do what we do particularly here. And so the first question I want to ask us is, why, why do we gather, why do we even gather for corporate worship? Let me just make, make it clear if it wasn't clear already. It might already be clear, but ask the question, why gather for corporate worship? We gather to worship Jesus together. I want you to see that the, the big thing is together. You should be worshiping Jesus individually and collectively with your family and friends throughout the week. We gather to worship Jesus together. We, we, do to, we, we gather to ascribe the glory due Christ's name. We do so to begin our week as a po- with a posture that we will labor with Jesus in the rest of the week. So I hope that changes things for you, why you, you've gathered here, and why con- we will continue to gather in the weeks to come. We're not just here to he- for encouraging points. I hope to encourage you. I hope there are encouraging points. You're not just here to, to hear some good music. No, you will. You're not just here to have to see some friends, some smiley faces, and feel welcomed. though I hope you feel those things. That is not why we have gathered. And let's be clear, that, is, that may be why you have come. But I hope that you don't leave here and come back for those reasons. You have gathered. We have gathered to worship Jesus not have a good time. We have gathered to worship Jesus, not to just have some friends. We've gathered to worship Jesus, not just hear some good points that'll help you in your life this week. You've gathered to worship Jesus. And if that doesn't do it for you, I just need you to know heaven is not a place for you. You're not gonna like it. <laughs> You're gonna be worshiping Jesus forever. Now, some of you wrongly think that worship is just singing songs. You're like, that sounds boring forever? Some of you are like, I would love to do that forever. I need you, that's the big point. Some of your adoration people, so you're like, I love the adoration stuff, but some of your action folks, you want to get stuff done. You want to accomplish stuff. I need you to see, we will be doing stuff in the new heavens and new earth forever. Both of those, adoration and action will be our reality in the new heavens and the new earth, forever reigning with Jesus. But it starts with worship. 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 So we've gathered to worship jesus through our adoration praising singing praying repenting and our action loving serving and then obeying as we leave here so why do we gather on sundays though you just said al earlier that the jews gathered on saturday seems like that's a big day it was a big day but you want know even bigger day than jesus than god resting on the seventh day You want know a bigger day jesus christ raising from the dead on the first day that was, the most, that was the biggest day in all human history is the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the grave. And that is why the church historically gathers for worship on Sunday. It's the big deal. That's why Sunday. Jesus rose from the dead on a Sunday, on the first day of the week. We see that in John 20. The Christian church then changed their corporate gathering from Saturday to Sunday. We see this in 1 Corinthians 16.2, Revelation 1.10. They gathered on what was called the Lord's Day or the first day of the week. This was at a time when people did not have Sundays off. Just think about this. First century, you got Saturdays off, maybe if you were Jewish, but the Roman world, they were pagan. You didn't get Sundays off. God's people were literally not making money, taking a break from work to come together to worship with God's people, leaving money on the table so they could gather with God's people on the Lord's day, because Jesus rose from the dead on that day. They're like, This is a very important day, and I'll skip work, I'll, I'll miss some money just because I want to be with God's people. And so, I need you to see that we've been a part, we're a part of this tradition that Jesus began when he rose from the grave, and then even on Pentecost, when, when the Holy Spirit was given in Acts 2, it was on the first day of the week. God's people are gathered for prayer and worship. That's why we gather and see in our nation. The reason why we, you get Saturday and Sunday off is because in the founding of our, our of our nation, we and, and the, when the founding of you know the, the work day and when you get the, the days off, they decided they wanted to go with the Jewish Sabbath and the Christian Sabbath. So you get Saturday and Sunday off. That's not normal in, in the uh, the human experience. God's people had one day, and it was Saturday. But the Christians moved their day of worship, corporate worship, to Sun to Sunday. The Lord's day. In Hebrews 10, chapter 24 through, or chapter 10, verse 24 through 25, God's people struggled sometimes to, to gather on Sunday. He says it this way. Let us consider how to stir one another up to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as a habit of some, but encouraging one another. And all the more, as you see the day drawing near, the day Jesus is coming back, he's coming back, he's drawing near. So like, let's continue to do this until he comes back. See, it was, even in the first century, a habit of some to not to, to neglect the gathering, the corporate gathering. And so the Bible warns us not to neglect it. I need you to see, post-COVID, there's been the average person, When someone says that I attend a church regularly. They're like, I am so bought in, that is my church, I am regular. You know what they mean by that? They mean once a month. Once a month. Majority of people didn't come back after COVID. They, majority of people have completely neglected. I've talked to people that, man, we've been online for three years. Like, you know, the church has been open for three years too. You know, like, yeah. You went to work? Yeah. You hang out with your friends? Yeah. You went to the bar? Yeah. You've just, just kind of been doing normal life? Yeah. And you're like, so COVID, that's why we didn't go to church. I just don't know Like when they say that out loud, if that makes sense in their mind, because it doesn't make sense. See, there's a habit in the human heart that that, that neglects to gather with God's people. And see, uh, theologian and Christian historian uh, or or church history uh, historian uh, Carl Truman says this, the most countercultural thing, hear this, today, present day, the most countercultural thing you can do these days is to start observing the Lord's day in a relatively traditional manner, regular traditional, like we go to church regularly, you want to be countercultural? Show up to church. Read your Bible. Obey Jesus. No one's doing that. Look around. The world you live in, they, they don't do that. You know that. The most countercultural thing you can do is gather with God's people on the Lord's Day for worship. And then scatter to continue to worship Him with everything you, you, you do. That's countercultural. But here's the thing this is what I hope to do today is hope to instill value in the corporate gathering people neglect what they don't value. Period. That's why. Those who, 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 who have, have neglected, as the scriptures say, as a habit of some to meet together, it's not because of their intellect. It's not because of what they know or what they don't know or, or, or have they read enough of their Bible. You neglect what you don't value. That's what you do. You neglect what you don't value. Or so, so, so some of you, so some, I'm, you're all here. You're like, yeah, we value it. We're here. Awesome. Praise God. I just want us to see the reality is we neglect what we don't value. But then others come to church, and this, is, this happens a lot in our nation, uh, and because we've been trained by this, by our culture. Co- some come to church just to consume. They're just consumers. It's just what can I get out of this? We've got to find the church that I can get the most out of, and I go to the next church, and what, what, you know, we just become consumers. Just like it's a, a gym, a hobby, or something you're doing, the church is just one of the things that you consume. And so you have two options when it comes to, to gathering for corporate worship. You can be a consumer or you can be a participant. I guess there's a third option. You can neglect it, but we're going to assume that we're doing one of the first two since you're here. Uh, you're a consumer or you're a participant. Consumers only receive when things are going their way. I need you to know this. If you're here and you're a consumer, uh, and we praise God, I praise God for Pastor Alex and Pastor Jonathan. Like I told them I'll probably, you know, the church grew while I was gone. And now it's time to, you know, trim it up a little bit. You know? Like I don't want that's not the goal. I'm just saying it's gonna happen. It might happen. Because it's not about me, it's not about them. It's about Jesus. And we're not, and I don't want you to know if you've come here and man, you're just like, this is a fun place and you know, a great place, and, and I hope it is. Don't be a consumer here. We don't want you here. I really love you all, but we don't want you here if you're just a consumer. I'm sorry. You're on a team and you have a mission and you got to accomplish something. Imagine that. You're on a team, you have a mission, you have to accomplish something. And everyone, or maybe put it this way, you had a school project one time and you had a group project and you're all supposed to work together on it. And Half the people in the group didn't want to work. They wanted you to do all the work and get your grade. You got real frustrated by that. Some of you, that's why you don't like team sports. You're like, my team, they didn't do the work. I talked to a guy this week. I don't like team sports because I want to be in control. But, you know, I want to do it because you know, I can't trust everyone to do the work. God's got a team. It's not an individual sport. It's a team sport where he's required that all of his children carry the load for his glory and his mission. That's what I mean by when I say, like, we're not wanting consumers here. We want participants. True participants. I need you to see this. True participants are actually the true recipients. You want to receive all the things that you're looking for, and as a consumer, you start participating with a genuine heart of worship, you'll receive a hundredfold. Try it. And I need you to also see, regarding participation, that we all add value. You each individually have value to this congregation. To neglect to gather on purpose. I'm not saying vacation. I'm not saying you're just sick. What I'm saying is to willfully neglect to gather with God's people. What you're doing is you're leaving your value at home when the people of God need you. You're like, well, I don't feel like I have much. What do you have? You have your presence. The ministry of presence can be very helpful and effective. How many times I've been encouraged by conversations I've had with individuals outside, just in between coffee and between services. You need to understand that the Holy Spirit wants to do something in you and through you every time you gather so that the whole body is blessed and is benefited. And so when you're not here, you're missing out. Really, we're missing you. Next, what I have is six principles that guide our corporate worship. So many, some of you are guests with us, and, and you've just joined us over the past few weeks. And so, what I want us to do here now is I want you to see this is what guides what we do. You know why we get we gather. We gather to worship Jesus, but but how so? What 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 guides? What principles guide? Biblical principles guide our corporate worship. The first thing is that corporate worship is to be God centered. Hope we, we, that's been clear up to this point. We're a God centered. And so Matthew 4, uh, chapter, uh, chapter 4, verse 8 through 10, this is when Jesus is tempted in the wilderness by Satan. When he's tempted, what, is, what does Satan try to get him to do? To worship someone else, to not worship God, to, to recant on his mission. So what Jesus does is he says, no, you, we will only worship one God, one true God. There's only one type of worship. And so worship is to be God-centered. Worship is about Jesus. Second, corporate worship. So everything we do here is about worshiping Jesus. Second, corporate worship is to be intelligible. Intelligible. And so what this is, is it means that we should all understand what's going on. So when I use terms I'm gonna, I'm gonna, that, that may not be normal to your vocabulary, I'm going to explain them. We're going to preach what, and we teach what, uh, what Spurgeon called call the plowman's English, the everyday English. We're not, we're not, you don't need a higher education in order to come to church. Some churches, that's how they, they want everyone to, you know, hear all their fancy terms and big words so that they sound smart. Like, you know, I got a public school education, so that's what you're going to get. I didn't even get a master's, so there you go. So uh, that's where you're going to get And so, but the big idea comes from in 1 Corinthians 14 that, and we're going to, we've been studying 1 Corinthians, we haven't got to 14 uh, yet, but the big idea is that when we gather, we need to speak in such a way that everyone understands. This is why in 1 Corinthians 14, you translate the tongues so that everyone can understand. If someone's over here speaking in tongues and someone doesn't understand what he's saying, then you're like, that's a different language. I don't know what he's saying. It's not intelligible. So worship, corporate worship should be intelligible. So whether you're a child or an adult, you should be able to understand the Bible and we should be able to teach in such a way that people understand. Songs we sing, everything we do should be intelligible. That's why we explain the things we do. Number three, corporate worship is to be seeker-sensible. Now, for some of you get upset, I said sensible, not sensitive. Some of you are sensitive. And uh, you hear the word seeker, and you're like, oh, are we seeker sensitive? Yeah, we are sensible, meaning that we are trying to be helpful to those who are seeking. Actually, this is a, a principle we found in 1 Corinthians 14 also that we'll get into when we get back into 1 Corinthians, is that Paul expects that the gathered assembly of God's people would include non-Christians. So that you should speak in such a way that things are intelligible so that they can understand it. And you would assume that there's some that are seeking God. They don't know about Him and you're going to share about Him. So they need to understand what you're saying. So that the result in verse 20 through 25 is that they'd fall on their face and worship God as well. The end result being worship. And so we we create an environment. And we want folks to come in. Whether you're a Christian or a non-Christian, you can come. You can you can sit and be a part of what we're doing. And we want to preach and teach in such a way that, that it is helpful to edify the Christian and draw the non-Christian to Christ. Number four, worship is to be unselfish, meaning building others up. That's what you see in verse 26 of chapter 14 of 1 Corinthians. Uh, worship is to build one another up. It's not for our individual preferences. I need you to see this. Some people sometimes think that everything is my preference. If you knew my preferences, you would know that a lot of things are not my preference. And that's okay. I'm not, this, this isn't glorying myself. I'm just saying the reality is, like, that, that is the job. My job is the, not to, you know, put forth my preferences, but to create, to help lead a church that we're putting Jesus at the center. And then we ask Jesus, what do you, what do you want us to do? How do you want us to do it? And then we obey his commands from there. Number five, corporate worship is to be orderly, meaning done in a decent order. We see that again in 1 Corinthians 14, 4 as well. Our God is a God of order. He's not a God of chaos. It's not chaotic. So there's order, there's form, there, there's a reason why we do what we do. And lastly, corporate worship is to be missional. It's a buzzword. Don't necessarily doesn't mean I like it. See, that's one of these moments where that's not like a term I like, but it makes, it, it's helpful in this moment. It means that we're on mission. We're on mission, it's a buzzword, but corporate worship is, this is to edify the mission of God, to push forward the mission of God, not just through the heralding of the gospel, but the equipping of the saints for the ministry of gospel ministry with their everyday life. And so I hope that we can be a church that is, incredibly zealous to reach the lost so when we come here to worship jesus together you don't think whoa well my non-christian friend he doesn't worship jesus so he can't come to church no he can do you want him to worship jesus yes well bring him to the place where people worship jesus you you do this with your food your your restaurants right like this person doesn't like thai food i really like thai food what should i do i should introduce them to thai food Do you do this bring them Thai food at your your house privately you know you got to go to I got to get Thai food got to bring it to you you got to try it before you ever go to the restaurant no you're like let's just go eat okay that's a good burger place you want to come like let's just join why because you actually enjoy the food and you really don't care if they like the food or not you hope that they do but you're going to go and you're going to enjoy the food correct that's how you should you should see Sunday I'm going to come worship Jesus no matter what. I want you to worship Jesus. I want you to hear about Jesus. I want to bring you to worship Jesus. The pastor might offend you. He might offend me too. It's okay because we're here to worship Jesus and I'm just going to show up. And if you worship him afterwards, praise be to God. I actually believe in the power of the Holy Spirit that he can do that through flawed men like the guy on stage. like that. He can do that. And we see it when those who have the faith to just, I want to worship you, Jesus, I'm going to bring all my friends. We have people over the past month that have come to faith from religious backgrounds that, that would never darken the door of a church. And some of you, you're only, you we don't even know it because they just look like everyone else. You're like, I didn't ask them their story. You just assumed they all wanted to be here. Half the church, that's not true. It's not true. So trust in the power and the mission of God. When we gather to do what only Jesus can do, God gets to decide how we worship. So we see, we see the elements and principles from the Bible that guide what we do. Additionally, we've got to see how, what God has commanded that we do. So we, what, we, what we must see is that we not only have to have a pure heart worshiping God, which we talked about, but we should do the things God has commanded that we do. The Bible is clear. God is clear in the ways that he deems worship is acceptable. Meaning there are ways that we can worship God in which he commands us to. Then there are ways that God commands that we not worship him. We shall not have worship multiple gods. We're not pluralistic deists. We can't do that. And so I'm going to give you six elements to, to, from the scriptures that God commands for corporate worship the gathering of God's people. Number one, the first element of corporate worship that God commands in the Scriptures, 2 Timothy 2, 4-2, is preaching. Preaching. That's why we preach. And this is why we preach from the Bible. We don't preach opinions, we don't preach ideas, we don't preach politics. We preach the scriptures, and they will affect all of those things. Your ideas, your politics, your life, your, everything that you experience in daily life, the scriptures will speak to. But we preach the scriptures in season and out of season, which is what Paul t- tells Timothy in chapter 4, verse 2 of 2 Timothy. To preach the word, preach the Bible. So we preach. The, I need you to see this. The preaching is not the center of the corporate gathering. The Bible is. God's word is at the center of the corporate gathering. The preaching ministry, I need you to understand this. And this is, uh, we have a very particular view of preaching. Preaching is not simply teaching. Preaching includes teaching, has elements of teaching. Preaching is not encouragement, though it has elements of encouragement. Preaching is prophetic declaration. This is what God says we must obey. So the preacher is more like the New Testament prophet than the the counselor. And you just see this. In this moment, the, the operating job of the preacher is to herald the truth of God's word and say, this is what God has said. Take it or leave it. Repent, obey Jesus. That is the job of the preacher. This is why sermons can be offensive. And this is why the Holy Spirit works in preaching is because it, it, it heralds the truth of God's word. It pierces the heart of the, the, of, of the believer or the person so they would believe that they are guilty and that they need Jesus, their Savior, again and again and again. And that's good news. It changes their hearts. It changes their minds. Preaching is the first element. Number two, sacraments. The sacraments of baptism and communion. They must be included in corporate worship. So every week we take communion, and when people get saved, they get baptized. That's what we do. So we do both, both of these. We see that's commanded in, in Matthew 28, 19, to baptize, and we see in 1 Corinthians 11, the command to every time you gather, to take partake in the Lord's Supper communion. I preached through 1 Corinthians 11 a while back. It's online. You can read about that. But that, those are elements of the corporate worship, baptism and communion. Third, prayer. Paul tells Timothy to pray all kinds of prayers for all kinds of people at all times. So to pray. We pray. I want you to know when I pray at the end of the sermon, it's not just the filler. We when 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 Hunter prays before I preach, it's not just because he's filling time. It's not just a transitional moment. Some I heard some churches may you do that. I don't know. We pray on purpose. I need you to understand, we are praying on purpose. And when we ask you to examine your own hearts before you take communion, you should be praying on purpose. Pastor Alex preached a great sermon in own prayer. Prayer is communicating, talking to God. Number four, scripture reading. 1 Timothy uh, 4.13 says, Devote yourself to public reading of scripture. We read the scriptures, we teach the scriptures. We read the scriptures, we apply the scripture. That's what we do each Sunday, each sermon. We sing the scriptures as well through song. Number five, financial giving. This is a part of worship. And I know it comes at the end of our service in the announcement. The reason why we have the giving opportunity at the end is we want giving to be a response to worship, a response to loving Je- Jesus. So that you can re- we do so regularly, cheerfully, worshipfully, like Jesus, he gave, so we give. He gave himself and we give of what he has given us Back to him out of worship. Pastor Jonathan preached a great sermon last week on generosity. Number six, singing and music. Colossians three sixteen says we're to sing with thankful hearts, and so our hearts get formed by the gospel, and then we sing gratefully to our great God and King. Singing and music. So what God, in His great wisdom, has given us clear elements and principles to guide our corporate worship. However. What God has not given us is clear methods. God has not given us an order of service. D.A. Carson says this. He says, we do not have any detailed new century or, or sorry, first century evidence of an entire Christian service. Furthermore, there's no New Testament documentation uh, 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 of a model church service. John Frame, who's also a theologian, says that we know very little of the, the, the first church's liturgy in the first century. So really God has given God, His, His church this freedom to take these elements and principles that are found in the Scripture and then therefore order the church service in a way that, that, that glorifies God. They have the freedom to, to do that. So the reason why we have preaching in the middle, we have two songs at the back end, we have three songs on the front end, we have communion. We do this for, for a variety of reasons, but we could do communion at the beginning of service. We could, and I thought about it this week, just doing th- two songs. I told Pastor Alex, let me, let's just do two songs after I preach, and then we'll do communion at the very end. Just throw it all out, out, out of whack. He was there like, please don't change everything first day back. Like, so we didn't do that this week, but there's freedom in Christ to organize a church service in order to, to contextualize to the body of Christ in the season and day in which you live. So, so, so that's the big idea here. We are going to, for us at the well, it is our conviction that corporate worship services should include all of those elements. So we will never, all of these six elements, we will never have a church service that doesn't include them. So if we, we won't do baptism unless someone is saved, right? And they, they need to be baptized. We'll always do communion. And th- there's one Sunday a year, and that's Easter, in which we only do baptisms. We don't do communion on Easter. Like, why don't we do communion on Easter? Because we do it on Good Friday. It's the only only time of year that our service changes. But every church service, every gathering that we have includes all six of these elements. Because we believe that that they're essential. God has commanded them, and so therefore we're going to include them and enjoy them. So we build our service to include all six. So that means our services go 90 to 100 minutes. We don't go how short do our services need and then what can we pigeonhole in there and then figure out when's a good exit strategy and then what of God's can we, can we do? No, we go, God, what have you commanded? How do we partake and enjoy all of these in a way that glorifies you and maximizes that and then however long it is is however long it is. That's how we think here at the well. So ultimately though, what I need, I mean, you need, need us to see is that all of these things, All of these things are to help us worship Jesus. Why is that important? We become like who we worship. You will become like who you worship. I want us to become like Jesus. So we're going to worship Jesus. So the preaching is to help us worship Jesus. The sacraments are to help us to remember what Jesus has done for us. Prayer is to pour out our heart and praise and adoration and confession and repentance to Jesus. Remembering the, the mercy and grace of Jesus. Confessing our sins to Jesus. Asking for help from Jesus and power from His Holy Spirit. Scripture reading. Because the Bible is the Word of God and we must submit to it. We must not make the Word of God submit to us. And the Bible itself, guess who it's about? jesus additionally giving it's not about you it's not about the church it's about jesus singing who do we sing to we praise jesus all of these elements are about the one god we've come to worship jesus and he's worthy of our worship he is god jesus is god there's none like him i need you to see this. there's none like jesus in heaven right now seated around the throne he he has angels hiding their face covering their bodies because his glory is so awesome and so other that if we saw his glory fully in our sinful state that we would be like Isaiah and come undone. He himself, just his being, is worthy of all our worship. There will be a day where he will shut the mouth of every single soul. Those who reject him and those who believe him will fall down on their face and every knee will bow. Every tongue will confess. Everyone will worship. You will either worship Jesus by faith or by force later. That's the reality. He is so glorious that in his presence, we cannot help but to worship worship and he left all that glory he left the glory of heaven clothed himself in skin and bones just like you and me came to earth to seek those who have rebelled against him to seek sinners to save that was his mission we've been hell-bent on our own destruction Jesus came to save us and so Christianity, I need you to see, is not about being a good person. It's about worshiping Jesus. It, it's, it's, it's about worshiping Jesus, the one who rescues us sinners. There, there are no good people in this world. There's only just a good God who sent a good Savior to rescue a rebellious people. And through faith in Jesus, through his per, the person and work of Jesus, his death, his sacrifice on the cross, in, his, in our place for our sins, Jesus has made a way that we can be adopted sons and daughters of God. All the sin that we have, our past, present, and fu- future sin, dealt with done, received the crown of glory, do His name, the righteousness, ro- righteous robes of Jesus Christ applied to our account, sinlessness applied to our account. Jesus gives to us what only He deserves, and He received what only we deserved, and that's death on the cross. But because he's God and because he was sinless, death could not keep him down. After being dead for three days, God the Father raised him from the dead. He's victorious. He's alive. He's ruling. He's reigning. And he is the king. And he's worthy of our worship. His blood has been spilled to atone for sinners. Our sin has been dealt with once for all. There's no greater love than this. Victorious Jesus our response must only be to worship Him. To worship Him. And that's why we gather. We gather to worship this resurrected Jesus. To put our faith in this resurrected Jesus. To put our hope in the the sin-atoning sacrifice of Jesus. To put our life and our future in the hands of Jesus. If Jesus can handle your sin problem, He can handle your financial problems. He can, fan, he can handle your emotional problems. He can handle your relational problems. He can handle all your problems. So worship Him. We're going to end with this. This whole sermon series has about, been about spiritual discipline, disciplining ourselves for the purpose of godliness. So gathering on Sunday takes work. Corporate worship is work. I want to frame it this way, that corporate worship is warfare. It's a war. Sunday's a war. Many of you didn't want to wake up this morning. I didn't want to wake up this morning. Well, Something I'm like the most tired. I'm like I just had a day off and now I'm most tired. It takes discipline to get up to worship. I need you to see this. But if you can discipline yourself to get up to worship Jesus on Sunday, you can get up to worship Him on Monday. You can get up to worship Him on Tuesday. Just you worship Him differently. On Sunday, you worship Him through corporately gathering. Or maybe you're serving. Maybe there's a lot of things you're doing uh, with the church. Maybe you're worshiping Jesus that way. Tomorrow, you're going to wake up and go to work. You're going to worship Jesus or not with your work. Then the next day, the next day, the next day... Sunday is the beginning of our week. It's the beginning of the war. It's the beginning of our worship. So when you're exhausted, let me encourage you. When you're exhausted from a long week and an all but restful weekend, and you don't want to wake up, and you don't want to serve, and you don't want to sing, and you don't want to give, you don't want to do any of these things, just show up. Show up show up and declare with your weary soul that I will offer my sacrifice of praise with my lips and with my action to the one true God and King, Jesus. I will declare with my life that Satan, your actions, and your, your counterfeit throne have no bearing on me, but the throne of Jesus, the King of Kings, is the only one that matters. Satan, you have offered yourself as a, sacrifice or a counterfeit king. You are no king. There is only one king. So I'm going to gather corporately with God's people like an army and hail the king of kings. I'm going to praise his name. I'm going to shout and declare his goodness and glory. I'm going to hear God's word preached and I'm going to receive it. I'm going to leave and obey. It's just a continual spiritual finger to the enemy. I don't know if you can say that in a sermon, but that's what it is continually continually doing that because there's only one true king and only one true kingdom and jesus has defeated satan sin death in the grave and he is worthy of our praise he's ruling and reigning now and i need you to see he's coming back and when he comes back he will gather his people and he will wipe away every tear from our eye death will be no more there will neither be mourning or crying or pain anymore for the former things will have passed away why Because Jesus, who is seated on the throne, the king declares, I'm making all things new. If you believe that, worship him. If you don't believe that, know that that day is coming where the king will, 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 will return. He will return. May he find us worshiping, not just with our lips, but with our lips. Not just with our hands, but with our hands. May find us worshiping with our entire lives. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, as we respond now, may we worship you with, with clean hands and a pure heart that only comes through the gospel, your, your sin-atoning sacrifice. We look to the cross. We remember your death, your burial, your resurrection. We see that you've died for our past, present, and our future sins. We receive your mercy and your grace. We ask that you just overwhelm our hearts to praise right now. Would you move us in power, Lord Jesus? Help us. Live lives as we leave here today scattered of worship. May we see, Jesus, that you are worthy. You're worthy of our worship. So may we receive the glory due your name right now. In Jesus' name, amen.